Hello and welcome to Into the Black Archive, Season 5, Episode... Is this 4? Episode 4 now we're on? Have we made it there? I no, think... I think we're Episode 5. We're episode 5? I'm not sure because it's what? We've, we've One, had two of the two, Cybermen. 2, 3, 4, 5. Ice Warriors. Yeah, it's Episode 5. And... It is Episode 5? It's Episode 5 of Season 5. It's Episode 4 of this podcast for this that's season. What I, see, that's what I meant, Episode 4 of the podcast. Oh no! This this is if you ever look at our podcast numbering, it's really confusing. Cause I do it based on what the story we published episode number count is. So this will be episode. This is number forty one. <laughs> this yes. how it will be marked on 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 all the podcasting apps. But it's not the forty first podcast we've done. Yes, we have done many more than forty one podcasts. We've done that. And... No, we've done less than that. We've done less than 41 podcasts, James, because we had all the missing ones. No, but we've also, we've done Flux, so there's another few, and we've done at the end of season ones, which aren't episodes necessarily, and we've done emergency podcasts, and we've done pre-podcast, like, we've done others to add that total yeah, back I up. Yeah, I don't... I don't know what the number is. I don't... There's there's no easy way for me to find out either, because I'm currently <laughs> on the web portal thing, and it doesn't have it. Yeah. So we're just going to have to assume which one of us is right, one of us is wrong, and just move on, sadly. Or both of us are wrong, which feels more accurate. But yes, welcome along um, to Black Archive, wherever and whenever you are, and wherever and whenever this episode is titled. Um, you join us for another classic <laughs> Patrick Troughton tale. Uh, it's full of fungus, um, a character that they've seen before, but we haven't. And London Underground trivia, potentially. Which I so I'm basically gonna be nerding out about trains whoop, whoop. the whole day. Uh, it's uh, it's the Web of Fear, which has just come out on DVD. Uh, like last uh, many months ago, before I moved to Reading, so around five, probably around five months when this gets published. Yes, it's one of the newer uh, the newer ones that they've brought out, along with Evil of the Daleks and Galaxy 4, which we've already done, and you can scroll back through our Spotify, Apple feed, whatever you're on, to find. Uh, but yeah, this is one of the most but recent. Speak- Speaking of me moving and stuff, um, I'm moving to Glasgow at the moment, yes. and there's something which is quite... something which I've noticed which is quite amusing. Pray tell, uh, Mr. Scotland. Which is... Which is related to Doctor Who. So, well, I'm all ears. Through the, through the town centre, through like the shopping main shopping street in Glasgow, there's a load of blue police boxes, hmm. which are just there still. Well, just haven't taken inside out inside of them. No, it gets even better. They've turned them into like little. Like each one's like a coffee shop. They've shoved a coffee shop really? inside of a TARDIS. That's wild. Yes. Is it bigger on the inside? Yeah. I can only assume it is with the <laughs> amount of stuff you need for a, ca- for a, for a cafe. I, I, I was walking past one earlier. And I was, yeah, because at the moment I'm looking for flats, but by the time you listen to this, I would have moved in. Um, it's, they had like a, a coffee machine in there and had people sat outside. Yeah. That is, yeah. Is, isn't what I expected. Well, I think it's a more... It's more useful in some ways than the TARDIS is. No, the TARDIS, the TARDIS could be many coffee shops and we just don't know. Well, it could be many coffee shops, but have you ever seen the TARDIS utilised as a coffee shop on who? 
I think Tennant might have done it because yes. he did like a little shop. Yes. Well, not not as a shop, but do you remember in? I think it was for Dar- for Daleks where they had the little machine which pumped out food and water. Okay, yeah, that's it, it's a half cafe, but I guess it's not dissimilar from what a cafe does. It give, gives you it gives you nutrition out of a machine. I mean, food doesn't always come out of a machine, though. It's like, like you know, my muffin doesn't have to come out of a machine. It can be baked in the oven. This this hotel which I'm in has got a pancake machine, and yes, it's wonderful. You, you I that. want it. It's been in my head all day, actually. I've been I've literally been running around. Um, because this gets even funnier, because I went, um, me and my girlfriend went for Christmas shopping, because as we record this, it's the week up to Christmas, and um, she's ended up getting someone a Darth Vader waffle maker. So this is this has oh. very much been on my mind, the whole self-service, make-your-own-sweet-breakfasts. Oh, no, this this one here, you don't do anything, you just press a button. And it just and produces a pancake. A pancake. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> so presumably it's got the so, eggs, flour, milk, all the constituent components are kind of there. So it's got all the mix, essentially, in sort of like a liquid bank at the top. I'm assuming it's at the top. And then it like squirts it out onto a conveyor belt, which then slowly moves it along and it gets squished by two hot metal plates. And then out the the other side, you get a pancake. That is bizarre. It's kind of, it kind of reminds me, although it sounds a lot better than them. It reminds me a lot of the McDonald's ice cream machines where they have, um, they bring the dairy in pre-made and then they uh, they take it through this bacteria freezing process that lasts like four hours before they can use it. And that's why a lot of McDonald's ice cream machines are always broken. I think the more common thing, which most people would have seen, is, you know, the hotel toasters where you shove it in, it's like a conveyor belt which goes around. Yeah. yeah, I've seen It's those. like one of those, essentially, but with with pancakes and i've never seen one before and i want one now no, I've, I've never heard of one up to now but obviously it's a new world so credit to the um, yes popular hotel chain throughout europe uh, that you're staying in for that one outside of uh, pancake making um the main thing that we're making in this episode of doctor who is a lot of uh, do we call it webbing or do we call it fungus or or what is this thing that's spreading around london that's causing such a problem intelligence <laughs> and londoners don't like intelligence so they're trying to get rid of it you say london <laughs> i think londoners are probably more intelligent than just the people the other people who are there like the people in london are intelligent but the people that run the london maybe not oh no it's it's the whole of england i'm now scottish so i now need to hate it for the whole of england oh yeah in that sort of tribalistic way are you gonna vote yeah. for independence the moment you arrive no Let's not get political here, but I think you can tell what I think by that term of voice. I would announce this succession of Scotland. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So, The Web Affair is a big six-parter, and the most interesting thing to note about it is that it's a sequel to another episode in this series, but it's one we've lost. So, we're going in sort of in part two without having seen part one. So, what did you think about that as an experience? It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because we were discussing it earlier. It is actually surprisingly good at... It's sort of like one of those 
book sequels, which realises you might not 100% know what happened in the previous book. So they're still introducing other concepts to you, like what the Great Intelligence is, what the Yeti are. They're, they're introducing it to you a little, at least a little bit quicker than I think they would have done previously, but they're still introducing you to these ideas. And it's done in a very succinct way. I think we're still obviously missing out on the background since we don't have that initial prequel kind of episode. But it's still not terrible because we can still sort of work out what's going on. Yeah, and at the end of the day, the context is... It does help maybe if you have it, but you can watch the episode without really needing to know it because they give you all of the brushstrokes in the first episode or two, and from there you're off. Annoyingly as well is that the... A one more snowman for sort of like for prequel to this one is coming out soon as animated, but we've just missed it. Yes, so we're gonna have to we're gonna have to watch this out of sequence and retrace our steps when inevitably that comes out. Yeah, because I think that's coming out some point early twenty twenty two, so some point this year by when you're listening to it. Uh, yes, it could honestly, even be out by the time we we publish this. Yeah, knowing our luck, it's probably just dropped. Like the day the day we've put this out, I guarantee <laughs> they'll have dropped abominable so bad, and they'll be like, "Aren't they covering the wrong one?" Uh, but that's just where we are. What did you What did you think about this story? What do I think about it? I think this is all right. Again, there's been a, there's been a lot of solid stories uh, in series five so far without any of them really going to like a, a super high level. I think there's a lot of lot to like about it, but I think it can be a bit slow and it kind of reminds me of Ice Warriors where you could have shoved this into five, maybe even four parts and still had the effect. I'm not sure. I, I think the pacing is definitely better than in um, the Ice Warriors. There's yeah, a lot more so. going on because... I remember with the Ice Warriors in particular, we were struggling to, towards the end to discuss anything to the point where I, <laughs> yes. off, off mic off, off friend, I told you just to stop Let's because just stop we, are this, yeah. just, we are running over ground we've already covered. But I think there's a lot... I don't think it's got as big of a problem at which the Ice Warriors did have. I think it is better. I think the big thing which helps this one is the characters. All the side characters are really well built. There's a lot yeah, bigger of a cast compared to the Ice Warriors, where you essentially had two, three characters and the Ice Warriors. Yeah. Here you've got so many. I'm going to forget most of their names, but you've got Staff Arnold. You've got the journalist dude. Surely. Travers. Uh, Driver Evans. Travers's daughter. Yeah, you've got loads of people, which even when in those slower moments... It you still don't you're not sad about missing out on those because you're just enjoying being with a company and they all get moments as well and there's one particular side character who deserves a very more a more detailed talk but we'll get on to him and if you know who it is then well done if you don't then you're about to have a very nice surprise so Owen can you give us a synopsis of the web of fear <laughs> is it possible I think so missing out on good chunks. Well, um, yeah, so just give like of... a teaser. So the Web of Fear kicks off the same place where we left last episode. The TARDIS is sideways and the Doctor is trying to solve it. For... But he doesn't. Jamie lands on the console and we take off to go to new places. However, something bad happens. Our TARDIS becomes a fly and gets stuck in a web. 
as people as as it gets brought down into London, they keep going to view to Earth this season. I don't know why. Um, they hmm. keep going to Earth. Um, they go into the underground, but something's not quite right. It's very empty. They go off. They meet some army folks who are trying to solve for great intelligence and its yetis. Can they do it? Can they all survive? No, most of them die. Um, yeah, that's about it, really. They keep that's going about in, it, really. in, and out, in and out of the tube to try to solve the problems. But yeah. Yes. So, yeah, Weatherfear, a pretty long story um, regarding the main plan of the Great Intelligence and the Yeti, uh, who we have seen before in Abominable Snowman, although we haven't, is that a web or a fungus is developing which is completely toxic to humans and is killing everybody in sight. London has essentially been evacuated already by the time we arrive. And so the entire story pretty much takes place in the underground network, the London underground network, the tube, which is fun. And I'm sure we'll nerd out about the tubing stuff in a bit. And the good thing... It's very well designed, isn't it? All of the stuff down there. I should say that. It's a complete... It's a complete contrast towards the early sets we had in Doctor Who, because this one here did look proper. Yeah, it looked seriously good. And I like the fact that it's not... I mean, it's kind of a base under siege, in a sense, because they're surrounded in one area and things are coming at them, if you think about it in the base way. But because the underground has this sort of scope, the story feels like it's quite wide. Yeah, because they... They are, yes, it is a base under siege, but they keep going out of the base. They keep, they've got the literal tunnels which they are allowed to go out of and come back in again, even though it is all based around the base. Mm. Although, did you did you find that it was quite tricky to keep track of where everyone was at one time? Because you would, you would sort of have multiple different subplots happening where different characters would go into certain parts of the network. And occasionally you would lose parts of where they were, like the spatial relationships? I don't think so. I managed to mostly keep track of everyone, I think. Mm. So I, just... I think it starts off as a problem when you've got all the characters, but essentially by the halfway point, half of them have already died off, so it's relatively yes. easy. So I think it's all right. The fungus is very efficient at killing characters. Or is it? Such are the beautiful questions. So, shall we talk about characters that survive, uh, namely the usual trio? Uh, yeah, yep, we can go ahead with it. As we usually do. Um, where do you want to start with this one? Because I think there's interesting points to be made for all three. Um, shall we go start, start off with our lead, the Doctor? Shall we? Yeah, all right. We'll start with Patrick. Uh, how do you find this was as a Doctor episode? Because he gets a fair bit of time away from Jamie and Victoria again. We've had that recently. I think up until for last, I'm going to say, probably 15 minutes, it's all a very standard Doctor Who episode. He goes amongst emotions. He does tinkering. He does the fixing. He does all that kind of stuff. He plays his flute. But then for real interest for my char- for him as a character at least, comes right at the end. Where we where he is essentially saying, No, don't pull me out of this machine, don't pull me out of the machine, and then everyone pulls him out of the machine because he goes mad at them. 
And that's for me is the most interesting part of his character in all of this episode. Yeah, because essentially his plan, a very clever plan, mind you, is that the intelligence tries to use the Doctor and try and steal his mind for his intelligence, but the Doctor had sabotaged the device that was being used so that he would have drained the intelligence's energy, it would have basically been reversed. But because everyone pulls him out, the intelligence survives and lives on. Yeah, which... Which he doesn't communicate to anyone, so no one knows that's his plan. So everyone just assumes, which is immortal danger, Jane, blah, 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 immortal mm. danger. So he he is not happy when his plan fails. Oh, really? This is just an example that you should always communicate your plans with your teammates, particularly in the military, because this is a quite military-centric episode. Yeah, but at, at the same time, they didn't know mm. who was. Because essentially the entire plot point of this is essentially who's done it. Yeah. Who's the great intelligence's spy for intensive purposes. Yeah, the human messenger of what he wants to be doing, the intelligence. Yeah. So the Doctor, to be fair to him, does have a reason to not tell anyone what he's doing. But he then goes very upset for people not knowing what he's doing. Mm. There are a few moments like that, actually, throughout the episode. I, I remember he's with Anne, uh, Travers's daughter, and they figure out um, a method of controlling the Yeti, and they said, well, don't tell anybody, because we don't know who we don't know who the intelligence is, spy is. Shall we actually quickly butt in with this? With this here, and just spoil the twist for everyone? Yeah, Because I'm it. curious. I'm curious. Throughout it all, who did you think was the um, intelligence's spy? It kind of flipped, actually. Initially, I thought, oh, you know, maybe Evans has kind of got an obvious, looks like the squirmer ends up being the one that's got the master plan, because that's often a thing we see. There was a point where I maybe thought Anne, potentially, although I think I kind of dismissed that. In the end, it was quite well done, because I think Arnold was the character that you sort of forgot about. And usually when, usually when a twist works, it's because it picks up on a bit of detail that you've been given, but because there's so much stuff going on, you, you place it to the side as an audience member and you don't think about it. So then when it comes back, you go, oh, the thing I placed to the side. And that's usually why it has the effect. So I thought it was... The payoff was quite good for me. Yeah. I was convinced it was Anne. Oh, you were the entire Anne, yeah. thing. Because to me, in my head, it made sense for her to want to get her father meddling with things if she's controlled by it or instantly be the one which the intelligence contacts to get things started and then she's also the one who knows everything the doctor's doing she's very curious about that so i thought all of that kind of stuff all led up to it that making sense yeah but obviously that isn't what happened i was completely wrong i funnily enough you say which is sort of a character which floats to the side outside of sort of like the main people including Colonel Lethbridge Stewart. Um, Arnold was my favourite character. I was sad when he died in that episode initially, mm. because he was my favourite side character throughout all of this. Yeah, because he gets he gets a lot of screen time. Really, uh, very brave sort of character. I mean, how would how would you yeah. describe him? To be honest, he's he's kind of a no nonsense character who gets stuff done. But I think that suits the intelligence. Yeah, he's that no. No, he's very much sort of how people, including the, at the time, people describe William Hartnell's Doctor. 
He's very t- he's tough as old boots, but he's got that twinkle. He's got mm. that something which makes him still feel friendly, someone who's still good to be around. Yeah, and it's kind of that, that affability that, that means you don't suspect him because you think, oh, you know, that's just Arnold. He's off to the side of things. He just seems nice, seems willing to help out. But yeah, that's why it's a good twist because it, ca- it catches you in the place where you're not quite looking. A good twist will, will catch you in your blind spot. And so the writing on this uh, to deliver that twist is really strong. Yeah, by the fact which we neither of us really fo- realised it was him shows mm. which they did do something well here. And the fact which it wasn't so out of left field. I'm, I'm happy it wasn't Chorley because yeah, he just seemed too like too much, of a sh- too much of a stupid character. Chorley was there, I think, for a very, very different purpose. But I'll get to that. Yeah. Shall we go back onto our companions? Shall we look uh, at Jamie? Yes, but yeah, good Doctor episode. As a Jamie episode, I find with Jamie episodes at the moment that they've done the double act thing between the Doctor and Jamie, and it works... And there's been moments in this season where it's worked, but often Jamie's been separated from the Doctor, kind of being his own hero, which which is fine. But I think I miss a lot of the double acting. And as a result, Jamie kind of feels a little lost without the Doctor at times. Still a good character, obviously, but, but maybe he's missing that. And I've found that his subplots recently haven't been as exciting as the main stuff. Yeah, this one here is definitely a lot more of a Jamie light, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, he's in the episode running around. I mean, he gets a lot of screen time with uh, Evans, who's one of my favourite characters, actually, out of this episode. And that stuff's all good. But a lot of the focus of that subplot is on Evans. And it kind of brings us back to what we were talking about the other day when we were doing Enemy of the World, saying that the side characters have been really good this season, but that's actually drawn away from our normal characters and the ones we stay with the whole time. I think this must be why they sort of started leaning more towards only having one companion because it enables you to have a best of both worlds of really good side characters mm. while also not having to worry about splitting your time between the different companions. Definitely. Uh, and it's it helps that... Because what, we started with four on Who and, and you pretty much didn't have time for the four and side characters, although they tried in the early seasons. Um, the result was the side characters was never particularly memorable. Then they dropped to three, and that improved. And now we're there, we're getting better side characters, usually on the whole. So when we drop to two, you expect that we're going to get a greater proportion of good characters coming into stories and being one and dones, and then maybe we don't see them again. Yeah. So I'm, I'm imagining your feedback for Victoria is going to be probably around the same, isn't it? Uh, Victoria screams at things she's already seen... Um, the issue is when Victoria's with Jamie, Jamie leads the whole narrative and Victoria's kind of passive. The the main things Victoria does are basically either a Barbara light or even, even a Vicky light where she's kind of there to be the nice character who's compassionate, but doesn't do a lot of the action. And as a result, she's felt like the passenger of the Doctor and Jamie's the whole time. I think a lot of that's to do with how strong those other two characters are. It makes the situation worse but it is a bit you just don't know what the point of victoria really is in the story it's like if you took her out of the story would it make a difference no and she also just comes across as stupidly naive mm. like she tells Chorley, and uh, i mean we're friends with journalists so we're, we're generally think quite positively of journalists but Chorley is clearly sort of like he's 
portrayed as sort of like the tabloid sort of press who will just take everything and spin it in a, mm. a completely different direction. She tells Shirley about the TARDIS, which, I mean, it's just stupidly naive. Mm. It's the kind like, of thing to... that um, in a Russell series, uh, remember that character Adam from the first Russell series yeah. with Eccleston? It's the kind of thing that Adam would do and they get thrown out of the TARDIS for. That sort of thing, because it's just so you don't do that. Yeah, it just—I don't know—it just comes across as being too stupid and too naive, particularly as someone who we're, who's being portrayed as a relatively on it girl, who's the daughter of a scientist who has picked up things with her with her father. To then go along and do something like that just doesn't seem right. Yes, and I'm still waiting to really see what she's picked up from her father. Yeah. Because, Be- because I remember she Victoria did... Victoria doesn't really suggest much. She She's mentioned previously which she's aware of something because her father mentioned it. I can't remember which episode that was in, but it's been mentioned at some point. Mm. But it's never been used. Yeah. There's a lot of... I feel like there's a lot of stuff that we've been told about Victoria without actually being shown it. It's very chibnally in that sense, is that we're getting told all this stuff, but we don't see real examples of why or how. Yeah, she reminds me a bit of um, sort of at the start of of that character, Yaz, when it felt like Yaz's job was to sort of be the naive, I'll ask the questions around here character without really doing much to to do anything after that. And Victoria's in that boat. But at least Yaz doesn't just scream and shout at everything, like which, what Victoria seems to mostly do. Yes, any time someone is dead, Victoria will scream as if she's never seen a dead body before. Well, I mean, look, she's a sweet, young, sort of cherub girl. That's obviously what they're trying with the character. But the fact is, Victoria's now been on five, six TARDIS trips. You know, there are characters who have seen worse for less. And she still reacts as if, you know, death is something that has never happened, even though her dad died first time we met her, along with several other people. Yeah. And the slave man. And Maxable. Kill, kill, kill. Good old friend. Ah, good old friend. I was was in HMV earlier, and I, uh, I saw the Evil of the Daleks cover, and I felt happy. Oh... I, I really did, because Maxtable to me is like a dear family member. He is the best side character. Who history? <laughs> you can't, you can't beat Maxtable. Shall we go on to the story? Yeah, we should. I feel like there is there is one more character I want to talk about at detail, because they are important going forward, and it's important to sort of historically denote this is where they arrive. Yes, and it's I know worth you're talking talk about, about in a bit more detail. Yes. So, Owen, can you can you tell us, who do we meet in the underground? Who takes over the operation in episode three? Driver Evans. Yes, Driver Evans. Now, Driver Evans is one of the most influential characters in Who history, particularly for his use of boyo and other Welsh slang phrases. Boyo? I don't think I could sound more British than I tried. I found it fair, and but that's what I am going that... to flip back the accent ban you put on me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, was, I was just about to say, and that's what happens when I break the accent accent ban. It's we're blanket of course talk... accent ban. <laughs> yeah, we're obviously talking about one lep- 
Bridge Stewart. Corporal. Alistair. Lethbridge Stewart. Colonel. Is it Colonel? Yes. Shit. <laughs> Thank, thank you for trying to be pedantic there and massively failing. Just, just I, failed. Should we have a pedantic bad as you. well? No, because that would eliminate half of what I say. <laughs> if you want the very James Henry podcast, you feel free. But no, no, no. I, I don't want that, and I'm James. I don't want a James Henry podcast. <laughs> yes, uh, Alistair Lethbridge Stewart shows up, uh, and he for me is the best thing in this episode. And there are a lot of good things. Yes. Why is that? I think the reason he works so well, and it makes sense as to why they brought him back for the same reason, is that he takes absolutely no shit. Yeah, the interesting thing about him, when you compare... Because he, for all intents and purposes, is the same character we've seen many times, particularly in these Under Siege stories. We've got the authority figure who is there to run things and massively question the Doctor. However, this, he in this story has got one thing different, which the other people don't. Mm. He seems to just accept which things around him are going to shit by things he doesn't quite understand. So yes. he's just willing to extend that olive branch to the Doctor and go, right, what you're telling me right now makes absolutely no sense. But then again, we do also have Yeti. So, so I think it's, yeah. it, it's the interesting way of doing it, which is different compared to these authority figures, where they essentially go, no, I, I'm sorry, I do not believe that you're a time traveller who travels through space. But that we've also, what are you going to do about these ten men, these massive soldiers? Yes, which are entirely ridiculous anyway. The, yeah. the, the bit that sells it for me, definitely, is when the Doctor essentially admits to Lethbridge Stewart that he has the TARDIS, pretty much. He says, Yo, I have a craft, I've landed it um, at one of the other tube stations. And um, who, who's there with, with Lethbridge Stewart at the time when he says this? Who completely dismisses it out of hand? I think it might be Captain Knight, but I could be wrong. Could be Captain Knight. Yeah, we haven't mentioned Captain Knight. And he dismisses I think, it no, out. This, this thing, it's a lot of soldiers, so we're going to not 100% know everyone's names. Yeah, it does. It's all military men wearing similar uniforms, forgive us. So, yes, someone else completely dismisses it. Lethbridge Stewart just goes, well, yeah, all right. Like he, the, because he sort of thinks, well, we don't have another way out, so. Might as well see if this one's real. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a case of that makes no bloody sense at all. You're doing that. But then again, the underground's covered in fungus and smoke and there are Yeti wandering around. He's very adaptable. I can believe most. Yeah. And what I also really like about Lethbridge Stewart in this episode is that whenever somebody gives that whole disbelief thing or tries to counter words with, I suppose, ignorance or ignorant statements that are based on what they think is real rather than what's happening in front of them. His responses are always very cutting, and they're always very sarcastic and very funny, which I like. And it adds yeah. a lot of colour to the character. Like whenever Lethbridge Stewart is giving someone a put-down, it feels like a serious military man. Like, like it reminds me of um, my dad, who was in the military. Do you want to know why? Uh, let me guess. Nicholas Courtney, military experience. Yeah, he, um, he had military service. Yeah, although quite a few people had um, national service at that time, because I think national service yeah. was still going or had just been scrapped at this time, because it was made in 67 or 68. 68, actually. Yeah, he, he served his national service in the British Army. Mm. He left after 18 months as a private. 
Yeah, and, and isn't it... Am I right in saying, because I did do a little bit of digging on Lethbridge Stewart for this, uh, am I right in saying that he had a military family as well? Like, his background was quite... His dad was in the war and things like that, so it was kind of seen as, you do this, uh, son. As in Courtney. As in Courtney does, or as in for character. Yeah, as in Nicholas Courtney. I think uh, it's in Nicholas Courtney, or it might be Lethbridge Stewart himself, actually, as, an act, as a character. Uh, the... They're one and the same. Son of a British, son of son of a British dip, diplomat, so sort of diplomat, sort of yeah. maybe. But yeah, everyone sort of did national service around that time, and I think that's why you get a lot of a lot of the side characters who are male. And I think this is more exclusively towards male characters in Who that we've met have this disciplinarian thing going on, particularly in the base stories. Everyone seems very yeah. drilled and very organized and just follows orders. Um, which I think was just more of a hallmark about what the time period that these were made in. I mean, the world, Second World War had only ended just over 20 years ago. I mean, that's perfectly within living memory. Yeah. Shall we, shall we move on to a story? Yeah, let's go on for it. So, story time. The TARDIS arrives uh, in Covent Garden tube station, and we have this whole phase of going, well, it's probably the middle of the night because the tube is absolutely abandoned, dark. No trains are running, that's for sure. So they go up to ground level, looking to see a presumably busy London, only to find a deserted London and a dead man in front of closed gates. Yes. A fungus Which has taken fair, hold. We, we, we criticise Victoria here for her random screaming at every opportunity. To be fair to her, that body looked horrific. Yeah, I'll give her that one, because they actually did that really well. Like, he looked properly done by whatever the fungus is still uh it's a really effective start actually because what i like about a lot of modern who is when they spin things that we're used to in our lives and give them the doctor who twist and so being able to take something as mundane as well the underground and turning it into the arena for this who story is a really clever way of doing things and so bringing the reveal slowly gives you the sense of tension and the sense of dread you need for this episode. And then you know you're pulled into something quite serious. Yeah, and I also think which, here in this introduction, is perfect use of our companions' backstories. Because we have Victoria and Jamie not knowing about the general things you need to be concerned about in the underground or a train situation, with Jamie Mm. straight up just launching himself onto the tracks without even being... Yeah, without knowing about the third rail about the third rail or about how that could potentially cost him his life. And it's just completely different to, say, Vicky and Stephen, where if you didn't know which they were from the future, you would never have noticed. Yeah, I mean, it would be interesting to... It's interesting to think about what the stories would have been like with different companions. If it was Ian and Barbara, I think they'd have just... They wouldn't have really been much to say because they're from that time period, so they know what the tube is. Yeah, it takes away from the mystery of it, doesn't it? Yeah, that's a really good point you made, actually. I didn't even consider that. Uh, it does add to the scene a lot because it puts you in their perspectives and gives you an outsider's take on something that we're all effectively insiders on because we know how the tube works and, we yeah, we just know what it is. So to have that spun is very nice. Once we discover everything's messed up, they're quickly found by the army team, which has been dispatched to deal with the rising threat. Well... Half of them are. Yes, half of them are. So how does, well, that, they, how does that go? They they come across the army laying down some explosives 
in theory, I'm guessing, to cave in the underground or something. I'm not entirely sure what, what it would have achieved. Considering I think the idea from was fungus they were going to blow up the through. tunnels. They were going to blow up the tunnels so that the fungus didn't have a way through. But we also know if the fungus just goes endlessly up and down, so that suggests they can go through matter anyway. Yeah, I think it was a bit futile. But perhaps they didn't yeah. fully understand that at that point. Or they literally... I mean, especially towards the end, we see them trying every possible opportunity to get rid of it. So they might already just be in that desperation stage of just, let's just shut everything, see if it sticks. Um, so they come across that. The Doctor goes to find the explosives. Jamie and Victoria goes to follow the army men. And then Victoria gives themselves away in the most ridiculous way possible yes, by screaming at a spider. Yeah, that is some plot convenience R us, isn't it? And it's just another example of we can't find a way to use Victoria as a character positively for the story. She yeah, comes like across could, as more of a hindrance. Like they could have easily have done it where they accidentally kick a rail and it rings. Mm. Like that would have been a perfectly conceivable thing for people to do without it sounding utterly ridiculous. But no, because the girl's afraid of the spider, they give themselves up. Yeah. And then the army find them, captures them, takes them back to base, while the doctor goes, has a look at the explosives, but then it goes wrong. And then we don't see him again for another episode. He's on holiday. <laughs> yeah. Great cliffhanger, though. It's a great cliffhanger and a great way of using your actor going on the holiday to bring up the intent for the tension. Because as you were saying earlier, it's a very Doctor heavy story, but he's not there for some of it. But you never quite forget he's not there because they're constantly going on about it. They're constantly on edge about the Doctor's location, mm. but they just never show it, which is very different to say how they've done it previously, where like, they just go... Oh, let's just send Susan away to this camp thing to learn about how society works. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's where, a particularly famous one. Where, where they just send her off, or oh, let's just leave, let's just leave Barbara up on the spaceship. Yeah, or let's just deal tension. with the administrator. Because we've got tension here from that cliffhanger of is the Doctor right? How what state will he be in when we find him? Is he still around? Compared, because he's using yeah. that absence. And I think the other consequence of Troughton being on holiday for that episode is that the script takes advantage of that to do more of the side character work. So that as the story develops, we have more of a base on who the characters are. So that when things start to get more fast paced, as they do in the sort of succeeding episodes we have the characters there to know for example that's the episode in which we meet evans um he's um the is it Welsh... i thought we met oh no we, we meet him there one? sorry oh no, no we do yeah i was thinking so because no, I, I was thinking i was thinking episode three because we would meet him around the same time as lethbridge stewart but no we've he, no we've we meet what happens is lethbridge stewart evans and a bunch of other military go in but they get attacked by yeti and they're the only two to get out of it the others all die yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I was wrong. Mm. I've realised that. Yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah, so you get characters like Evans being introduced, and we also get um, at that point to dive more into Professor Travers 
and why he's relevant. Obviously, if, if we'd had watched The Abominable Snowman, we'd have known this, but Professor Travers, as a younger man, is one of the key characters in The Abominable Snowman where the Doctor, Jamie and Victoria meet the Yeti and the Intelligence for the first time. Yeah. But then, as I was saying earlier, how a lot of the explanations and all that kind of stuff are done really well, so you never quite feel like you're missing out massively mm, it's not on that previous sequel. I really like the sequence, actually. There's a really good scene early on in which Travers realises that Jamie and Victoria are the same Jamie and Victoria and haven't aged a day, and Travers reflects on the fact that he's aged for 40 years. It's, I think it's one of the first times we've really seen that. It's that and the arc where we really yeah, see sort of like the aftermath of what's happened. But I think the arc almost went, it went so far along that you didn't see it on a personal level. You got the wider consequence yeah. of it and that was great. But I think this is the first time you've seen it on just a truly personal level. I think it really works. Yeah. Just a good scene. And then we also get to know Anne from that point, uh, Travis's daughter. Anne's a very good character. I really want to point that out. Yeah, she is. All of the side characters here are really good. Like you do mm. get some which are just generic army men, but then excluding those ones, you've got Lepra Stewart, you've got Anne, you've got Travers, you've got Evan, you've got Troy, you've Arnold. got all of these Arnold, you've got all of these really standout characters which really do just you feel really happy to be with them. Mm. Which I think I is th what takes away from the particular sometimes lacking plot or repetitive yeah. plot for sure. Yeah, it is. It's sort of, oh, there's another problem here. Let's go into the tunnels and sort it. But the characters sustain you through a lot of that. I think it's worth, actually, before we talk about how the story moves on, having a little chat about Chorley. Yeah. While we're on this. Because I, I kind of wanted to ask you a question about, do you think... Because in, in my mind, the obvious point of Chorley is this caricature of the media. You know, he's a reporter who's willing to really do whatever it takes to get the juiciest story that his readers will eat up do you I, think that's I relevant to the theme though the, the episode i think so to an extent i think it gives in a story what you want is you want someone for particularly in a story when you've got a team you need to have someone who's everyone's against mm. and he fulfills that role very well because in an army situation particularly it shows a contrast between how they would normally operate because the army generally particularly in this sort of operation would be relatively secretive on what's going on but him being there is kind of contrasting that and giving mm. them someone to to hate and get annoyed with yeah the only reason i bring it up is because i think he's a good character and i think all of the the way the script's written for him is clearly making this point about you know he'll be he's willing to do anything to get the story he'll twist words all of this stuff he's obviously I, not someone to be fully trusted i think if i remember correctly i haven't done research on this for a while and i can't 100 remember but i seem to remember reading somewhere which he is a parody of someone so maybe ah. that person who he is parodying at the time was involved in sort of like a similar army investigation who everyone got annoyed with. So it might be a situation like that, because I know which Leprous Stewart is a parody of a famous British colonel. Uh, let me try and look into this uh, very, very quickly. I'll see if I can't find something. Uh... 
No, nothing major I can see sort of on initial look. But if if that were the case, it would make some sense. The only reason I bring it up is because I feel like it, it works in its own way, but whether it, but it kind of feels a little out of place in the story to have it be a media thing. Having a hateful character works, but having it really be specifically about something, I don't know, it was just an interesting one as to why that was there in this story. Could have been in another one. I understand where you're coming from, but I think his character outside of the whole reason for him being there works. Yeah, I, I'd go with that. I think I think he's a good character to have as to whether it's fully fitting into the story. I just think it's another question. Uh, yeah, and then Evans also really works because he is something we don't usually see, I think, on Who, which is the coward. We don't see that a lot. He, he is a very interesting character because mm. he wanders a fine line of being really bloody irritating. And I think he manages to stay on that line and not become really irritating. I think he does. He starts to sort of toe that line a little bit at, at our introduction. But as we develop, he becomes more and more solid as sort of like the cowardly questioning type without getting annoying. Because particularly hit with his, the accent he uses, it could get very annoying very quickly. Yeah, it's a very strong Welsh accent, which is great if if you like that voice. But, you know, it's quite an acquired one. I think what works about Evans is that he's smarmy, don't get me wrong, but at the same time, I think it works because you would do the same thing in his situation and so you relate to it, even though you know it's really not the right thing. But there's kind of that part of you that goes, well, if I was stuck in the underground with all this stuff happening around me, I'd probably want to get out myself. (laughs) Yeah, I think Evans really works and it adds a colour to the team as well. I like that all the characters are good on their own, but they... They interlock really well and they form this group dynamic which changes the story's mood and, and adds different tones to the whole thing. It's like um, it's like a painting almost where you need this bit here on the left of the frame to make the bit on the right of the frame stand out and a colour here will make a better colour here. And so all the characters work together to form a really good group while also being good on their own. Lethbridge Stewart then arrives, and the Yeti are obviously kicking around. With Lethbridge Stewart's arrival, I think it's a good time to talk about a fundamental thing with this episode. Is that the backstory for us having this episode in the first place? That it was found by a collector, saying which he had all six parts, and before it got sent, episode three mysteriously went missing. So, in mm. this version, we have got the 3D animation. Yes. And I think to say it's an acquired taste would be lying. I think it's more just terrible. (laughs) It's not for best. Have you ever played the PlayStation 1? No, but it's got very similar sort of graphic style to it, doesn't it? It's it's quite low poly, is, is the nicest thing to say about it. They tried the 3D thing, which I admire... But I think a lot of the time it comes across as really underdeveloped and under-rendered. And so as a result, you get these very clunky character movements, not a lot of emotion on the face. It works functionally to recreate the episode, but you don't get a lot from the animation that helps. Yeah, it it, it does give off the impression of it. They would have been better off putting that high, slightly higher budget into a... F- 2d animation doesn't it yeah a 2d because we've seen a lot of good 2d animations that have done the job yeah 
and you can add color to things and um it feels expressive whereas this one struggles because there's just not enough work on the expressions right so let's go back on for story then so in general colonel lethbridge stewart comes in and starts trying to put the operation into shape Yes, and he does it, which I think is what I like about Lethbridge Stewart, functional character who gets stuff done. A bit like Arnold, but almost more direct. It's it's around this point where, as we've previously mentioned, we have the issue with Victoria telling Chorley the entire secretive nature of the TARDIS. But we've already discussed yes. how stupid that was. And it kind of gets implied at one point that they don't know whether Chorley has got to the TARDIS. And, and Jamie makes this hilarious comment, oh, you might take it off. It's like, wait, so you can't... You've only done it basically by accident, but Chorley's going to figure out how to operate a TARDIS like that. Come yes. on now. <laughs> so all while this is going on, the Yeti have broken into the base to... Because the Doctor has this plan of... It's the same sort of explosion plan, but it's the plan of let's get the explosive in motion because then mm. they won't be able to stop it. So the Yeti come in and explode it previously before it gets even put on the trolley, which... Which gives us the hint, the major hint, which someone might not be on our side. Yes, there's a mole in the group. Yes. And that but becomes the big question. Mole? Then yeah, it, the Yeti it attack Travis Strand. Yeah, yes. The, the Yeti attack Travis Lan, um, which is rough. Travis does a, a easy best screen candidate for this season in that in that moment. <laughs> it's absolutely phenomenal. Uh, <laughs> it is a must listen. <laughs> scream i think is the best way to describe it and then we're, we're in the second half of things um and that's where the doctor and Anne start to figure out how to disrupt the signal that the intelligence is using to control the yeti yeah so they they start working on that side of things and we start time to try to work out where everyone has gone because at this point, everyone's sort of all over the, the tube network. And what I like, actually, is that if you know the tube in Zone 1, you can actually start to work out how the characters are interlocking at points. Do you know something about, about the set design of this episode? Uh, tell me, do you, uh, because I probably do you know for contra- Do you know the controversy behind it? There was controversy behind this design. Yes, the BBC got in trouble for it. Was it because it was, um, it was too accurate? potentially and it was showing people how to get into the tube i don't know no um so essentially initially the bbc had approached what was i can't don't know what they were called there but the equip modern day equivalent of transport for london to ask can can we please film our show in in the tunnels obviously for obvious reasons they said no mm. um but so then they went went away and built the sets which is what we get but they were so realistic. Yeah, they are. The, which the, the equivalent of Transport for London wrote in for BBC to complain, thinking which um, the production had snuck into the network and started filming, <laughs> filming really? without anyone's notice. Yeah, That's amazing. Because remember, this was pre-time of CCTV, so they wouldn't know if there yeah. was no staff around. But yeah, yeah, no, if BBC got in trouble for that. I mean, you do look at the sets, and I did think to myself, my initial thought was that they had found a tube station that maybe wasn't in use. No, that that's, they were redressing That'd be it. the obvious option. That'd be the mm. obvious option. But no, they, they straight up had to had to build it, and they did that's ask, really and they got told no. That's impressive, you know. I, that, that might be the best bit of production values we've seen on Who so yeah. far. That's really impressive. 
Yeah. I mean, if you can fool the owners of the thing you're trying to create, then goodness me. It reminds me, you know, in Ocean's Eleven, when they um they make like a set of the bank or the, the bank safe they're trying to rob and they use it on the CCTV and it fools everyone completely. It reminds me of that, where it's so mm-hmm. realistic that nobody would suspect anything. Great for heists. Yes. Yeah. So the doctor tells the colonel about the TARDIS and they go up to try to track it down from the surface. Mm. But very quickly, things go awry and it turns into a bit of a suicide mission with only the colonel coming out alive. Ooh. Yeah, there's a great big fight sequence, uh, which is a bit war machines-y at street level. It's good fun. It's a bit schlocky, but I enjoyed it. see the starting of you can see where they got the idea which oh unit in the future obviously because they weren't thinking about it at this time mm. thinking oh it's worked here unit could work if we make it a staple part of it and yeah, you so can sort of see that starting yeah because it because it's Lethbridge Stewart the whole thing does feel like a unit situation I think just because the character is so strong and it feels... I mean, obviously it wasn't, but if you'd said this was a backdoor pilot to what they're going to do in The Third Doctor, then it would make total sense. This one here isn't, but the invasion next season is. Yeah. Because this was clearly, after this episode, became the idea, didn't it? As to where they were going to yeah. go next. Yeah. So yeah, so they all get murdered on the surface when the colonel coming back. So we then get essentially left with Evans... Chorley's run off. We don't quite know where he's gone. What does um, happen to Chorley? He gets picked up again to, at the end. He gets found oh, yeah, he by does, Arnold randomly. Yeah, we just kind of um, lose him for two episodes. Oh, well. Um, and then we've got some up Traverse. We've got Anne. Actually, we've main people. We've got Anne because Anne gets left behind when they get tra- tra- Travers. Um, mm. We've got the Doctor. Vicky's taken as well. Jamie. And yep. that's about it, really, isn't it, and Colonel? Yeah. And then at that point, we we start to figure out um, what the, the true plan of the intelligence is. So the idea is basically that the intelligence has lured the TARDIS here to get the Doctor's brain. That's the whole thing. Yeah. Because it's a great big trap. Because, yeah, because for Yeti to turn up with Travers and essentially go to the Doctor, if you don't do what we say... Yeah, no, we're going to start killing people. Mm. Which, so that, that really puts a rocket up for the arse of Anne and the Doctor as yes. they try to solve this problem. It's quite persuasive. Then we get kind of stuck in the negotiation and then things start really starting to happen. Arnold, who we thought had died from going into the fungus, comes back. Somehow. Which is kind of a little bit suspicious, isn't it? Some yeah. might say. It's just sort of initially thought, because you like Arnold as a character, like you were saying before, that you're really happy yeah. to see him still going. So you almost, because you're happy, you forget to think about, wait a minute, <laughs> you forget to do that part. Yeah. Yeah, it's really cleverly done still. Yeah, he comes back. Uh, and then, I mean, what happens at that point? Oh, is this when the fungus sort of breaks straight through, isn't it? Yeah, this is when HQ becomes completely irrelevant and we kind of have to go on foot. We have to go go find Vietti. At this point, the Doctor and Anne have worked out a way to control a Yeti and immobilise Yeti. So yeah, so when we start to sort of like approach Vietti, nothing massively happens up until this point. You just kind of need to know that. So what did you think about the ending? 
because we end with everyone everyone at the top the straight intelligence regaling them with their plan the doctor mm. gets strapped in he's rewired for headset so it doesn't won't do anything and then everyone disrupts that plan they kill off the they don't kill off the intelligence he's still floating around and the doctor's not happy because his plan's been disrupted as we well, were discussing really, earlier it's a really strong ending because it's different to what we'll usually get where the doctor fixes everything and it's fine you get the sense that the doctor would have but occasionally things can be disrupted and actually a lot of that is the doctor's doing by not communicating that with the team yeah so as a result you get a bit of a flawed situation it reminds me to an extent of power of the daleks one of Troughton's very early episodes or his first one actually where um he sort of lucks his way into winning and he doesn't quite know whether he lucked it or not nor do we uh this is a slightly different feel but i like the fact that a lot of these episodes play with your expectations at the end and it does feel like a bit of a defeat in the end i mean everyone survives but no one really wins yeah it's definitely one of the strongest endings isn't it we've, we've got and it's a re- really satisfying feeling which i feel like a lot of the endings we've had previously had missed out on yeah it feels layered and it has more depth to it than just sort of fixing things and wrapping it up with a bow. Yeah. You know, you can't just reset the universe. I mean, you can put it in a passenger build and then pretend that you reset it and it was fine. But but not here. It's better to do it and just leave consequences in place properly. Yeah. So to round up this episode, what would you give it, James? I think I think it's all right. And it's got really solid characters, a good ending admittedly some slow bits they still not quite sure how to use victoria and even jamie to some extent the doctor goes through the motions towards the end but overall really solid and tell you what just basically because lethbridge stewart is, is in this and i love lethbridge stewart i'll give this an eight and be nice to it yeah how about you Owen? i'll probably i'll probably give it a seven or an eight as well because yes it is slow at times but you still don't you don't really care because the characters there are just so fun yeah, to be with in the story it's a very repetitive plot with people repeatedly going just in and out of the tunnels but it's a nice change up to the situation where it is literally just based under siege you can't really go anywhere other than like two locations it's a really interesting one to be be with yeah overall good fun uh and also it's very nice to know that their tube mapping is accurate all the time <laughs> it's well detailed the fact that they actually go through monument to tower hill yes that's how it works also there's a little detail that the tube maps are actually 60s accurate because you see aldersgate station which is obviously aldgate but that's what it used to be called then just little tidbits like that get the nerd transport nerd and me like oh they've done that right and just so we're all clear here as well this was filmed in the 60s so yes that was going to be right anyway yeah, but in the animation, they also um, replicate it. Oh, yeah, did they? Oh, okay. Yeah. I wasn't looking it's, that That's in the animation me. as well. So it is credit to the modern people and the producers who somehow fooled, you know, old body TFL. Yeah. Anyway, thank you for listening to this slightly rushed, but I still think over an hour long episode. <laughs> so, <laughs> usual. Um, so thank you very much for listening. If you want to get in contact with us, feel free to tweet us black at blackarchivepod or you can email us blackarchivepod at gmail.com yes let us know if you've watched this episode uh, any other episodes just whatever you want to talk about really we're all ears and if you're all ears for more black archive you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts we're available in most places and definitely where you're listening to this now so you might as well hit the subscribe button where you are now so thank you very much and have a good day we'll see you later and 
Enjoy your week. Bye.